Hello and welcome to another edition of Deeper and it is so good to have you with us. Uh, today it's just me, uh, I've got no guests with me today, uh, sorry about that, but uh, probably next week we will have a guest. So uh, today I want us to look at the passage that uh, I preached from on Sunday and uh, on Sunday I focused on just one verse of this passage, the final verse. But today, within this uh, uh, video, I want to look at the whole passage because it's all connected. To look at the passage at first glance, you would think that the final verse just seems to stand out a little bit, stand out on its own, but it is still connected. So uh, I want you to read the passage. It's Romans chapter 15, verses 7 to 13. And uh, when you have done that, I'd love you to restart the video. So press pause now, read Romans 15, verses 7 to 13, and then restart. Great. So uh, on Sunday, I focused on that last verse, verse 13, and talked about hope. And we'll get back onto that uh, towards the end of the section. But I want to look at the rest of that passage as well. And uh, the passage starts off with Paul saying, accept one another. So what's going on here in Rome that Paul is required to tell them to accept one another in Christ. Well, let's do a little bit of history. So uh, no one knows how the Roman church got started. Quite possibly it got started on the day of Pentecost because we know there are people from Rome there in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell on those first disciples and Peter preached and thousands got saved. Maybe they went back and started to preach about Jesus and started a church. We don't know. Uh, but Paul is writing to them, he's been connected to them in different ways, and now he's writing to them, he's hoping to get to see them. Uh, but there's an interesting thing going on uh, within Rome. So it started off as uh, what appeared to be, on the outside, a Jewish sect. Uh, in fact, in AD 49, all of the Jews in Rome were thrown out of Rome because they were arguing and uh, having fights with each other over what one historian calls a person called Crestus. Uh, and it's now regarded that that Crestus is Christ. And so there's this debate going on within the whole Jewish community about who Christ is. And uh, that uh, fledgling uh, church, Christian church, would have been filled with Jewish believers uh, and also some Gentile believers. But when they're all thrown out, that simply leaves the, Jew, uh, the Gentile believers. And by the time Paul writes this letter, those Jewish believers have come back. And what they found is that the Gentile believers, they've been busy, they've grown the church, and now the Jewish believers are in a minority. And then they start a kind of heated debate about the role of some of the Jewish culture and Jewish theology how that now applies to the church, particularly about the law. Of course, the, the Jews were wanting to hold on to the law. Gentiles were saying, we're free in Christ. He set us free from all the demands of the law. But there's this debate going on. And uh, we see how Paul starts to address this. He addresses it all the way through the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, he is primarily just laying out the full gospel and describing it as an act of grace, that we are justified by our faith in what Christ has done for us and his grace towards us. And that's free, free of the law. 
And so as a Jewish believer, steeped in all the tradition and the theology of the Jews, he is now saying to the whole church, look, you now have a new relationship to the law. You know, are no longer bound in the same way that the Jews were. And what was happening within some of the, um, the debates uh, within Rome is that certain uh, believers wanted to hold on to the law. And Paul describes them in chapter 14. You could look it up and just glance through it. He describes them as the weaker brothers, brothers and sisters because they're trying to still hold on to something of the past. And the strong ones, they're the ones who entered into the full freedom that Christ has bought for us. And so there's that discussion going on between the, the strong and the weak. And effectively, it is a discussion between the Jewish believer and the Gentile believer. And right at the beginning of chapter 14, Paul says, accept the weaker brother and sister. In other words, for those who are still holding on to the past, don't condemn them. Just love them. Accept them. And uh, now he kind of broadens that and he says, accept one another. It's a plea for unity in the church. It's a plea for the church to be one in the way that the bride of Christ should be in all its glory. And that word accept just doesn't simply mean to it's not a weak word, it's a very strong word. In other words, to see each other as brothers and sisters, not as someone that you are having an argument with, not as someone who's an enemy, but as a brother or a sister. And so that's his plea right at the beginning. Accept one another. Accept one another in Christ. Then he says, just as Christ accepted you, because there is no, uh, no stronger image that we can have of Christ accepting us because as Paul says uh, that you know once we were enemies of Christ and now we are in friendship with him we are his brother his sister and so in the same way that Christ accepted us he says we should accept one another in order he says right at the end of verse 7 to bring praise to God in other words it leads to worship as we discover the new community that we have in Christ. And you want what Paul talks about all the time is the transformation of the individual and the building of a new community. And the two go hand in hand. It's not just one or, it's both. And so here he says, you know, that, that all our unity should allow us to worship and praise God in the way that we were meant to. And then verse 8, he gets to the kind of cruxus of the mass. He says, that Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. He became a Jew, but not simply for the Jews. And that is something that is now developed in these other verses, that's where you see him referring to uh, passages from the Old Testament. Because he says that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. In other words, the promise to the patriarchs was that the Jews would be a light to the nations. Now, they never always lived up to that. They never always did what they were meant to do. But they they were meant to be a light to the nations. In the same way now, the church is meant to be a light to the world. And so then uh, Paul refers to, to Moses and to David and to Isaiah. You couldn't get any bigger names in the Old Testament, could you? You know, those, those three alone. 
he, he appeals to them, he shows them through the words of those three uh, patriarchs that it was meant to be, the, the whole uh, work of God was meant to be for the whole world. And so he says, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And there's a kind of progression through these um, references. First of all, there's praise in amongst the Gentiles. Then verse 10, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. The Gentiles are then rejoicing with the Jews. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and all the peoples extol him. That word extol is to, to lift up, to make king. In other words, they are not just praising uh, Jesus, they are making him king. And then in verse 12, uh, that he will rise up and rule over all the nations. In other words, the gospel that we have is for all people. And Jesus will rule over the whole world, not just for the Jews, not even just for the church now, but for the whole world. And in him, the Gentiles will have hope. And then he says, and may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the hope that we have in Christ is rooted in the fact that the gospel is for all people, for every single person. It is offered to them in an act of grace and received through faith. So may the God of hope, that little phrase, God of hope, that doesn't mean he is a God who hopes. He is the God who is the source of hope. He is the God who created hope. He is the God who gives hope and he gives hope to you and me. And as we are filled with hope, filled beyond measure, we receive joy and peace. And though that hope and joy and peace, they're deeply connected. You cannot have joy and peace without hope. You cannot have peace without joy and hope. They are deeply connected. And then you'll overflow with hope. And I said on Sunday that, you know, we are all called to be bearers of hope, dealers in hope to a world that is sadly lacking in hope. But the key, as I said on Sunday in that verse, is as you trust in me, as you, well, sorry, as you trust in him. And uh, that, that is the pivotal kind of few words that, that everything else hangs on. That as you put your trust in God for your past, your present and your future, for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for this world, for this town. As you put your trust in him, that is at when you overflow. And it is always the work of the Holy Spirit. It's always his work in us, flowing out from us, allowing people to see the hope that we have in Christ. You know, I'm not sure that I always overflow with hope. But it is my prayer that when people connect with me in different ways, when people see me, they see something of the hope I have in Christ. Hope for a better future. Hope for, to be, for myself to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. A hope that goes beyond this life into the next. And no one else offers us hope like that. So that's the passage uh, let's think a little bit uh, wider and think about how does that now apply to us? What do we get from this passage?
So there's a couple of things here. Firstly, accept one another. And uh, I've been around church for a long time, a number of churches. Uh, I go to visit lots of churches in different uh, capacities. And uh, the one thing I, that always troubles me is churches tend to be filled with people who all like each other. And it's easy to accept, accept someone who is like you. If you agree with them, if in some way they share the same values as you, if they have the same theology as you, it's easy to accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Here in Rome, we have two very different conflicting theologies, two very different conflicting value systems, and Paul saying, accept one another. Uh, and I wonder, certainly for, for all of you who belong to Christ Church, if our church was suddenly filled with people from different kinds of backgrounds, who had slightly different theological ideas to you, who saw different things in scripture to you, could you truly accept them as brothers and sisters in Christ? There's a moment in there in, in a previous church that I belong to. We had a, at one point uh, a, an influx of people who were in recovery from addiction. We had uh, about 20 to 25 people every Sunday who all came from a rehab center. And uh, at first everyone was like, oh, this is fantastic, this is fantastic. But as they got integrated and as, um, as they just sort of settled into church, uh, it was changing us as a church. Their presence changes and changes positively. But then I had um, a meeting with some of my key people in church, people who I trusted implicitly, who I loved, uh, and saw Christ in and they said to me we're struggling we're struggling because these people who've come in from the outside are changing us and we're not sure we like it see it's easy to talk about accepting one another if we're all like each other but when we come across people who are different who hold slightly different ideas who hold slightly different theologies who are perhaps living life differently than us, do we then, are we then able to accept them as we should? And I think that's a challenge for us, isn't it? That I'm, I'm aware that church life generally in Southport, as well as across the whole nation, is changing. And the things that we once held dear are perhaps no longer important. And those who are coming in new to church have different ideas and see things differently to those who are established members. And it can cause tension. The one thing we get out of this passage is, look, accept one another. You will be different, you'll have different ideas, but you are to accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's the most important thing. The most important thing isn't that you are right and they're wrong. The most important thing is that you see Christ in them and see them truly as a brother or sister. I think the other thing that we need to um, just pick up on is Paul's use here of the Old Testament. Uh, and I'm aware that uh, quite a lot of Christians don't really engage with the Old Testament very much. They like some of the stories, you know, like some of the great stories that we all know, Joseph or uh, the story of Moses and those kind of things. But within the Old Testament, 
There is everything that we need to know about how God was planning out the arrival of Jesus and what he was going to do. As Paul demonstrates here, you know, God's plan was always, always to include the Gentiles. It's just that the Jewish nation didn't live up to that. Christ comes and he comes for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I want to encourage you to, to truly engage with the Old Testament. It can be a difficult book at times. It can be a hard book to understand. And sometimes you need to understand the background and something of the, the cultural situation in order to fully grasp what's going on. Uh, and certainly some of the prophets aren't easy to, to really understand. But it's worth it. It's worth it in order to get a full understanding of what the gospel is. When you look at the book of Romans, which is, you know, the epitome of, of the full gospel, time and time and time again, Paul refers back to the Old Testament and says, look, this is what was there and this is what we see now. This is how it's now being applied. This is what, how it's now lived out in the life of Christ and lived out in the life of the church. And then the third thing I just want to draw your attention to is to just get back to Verse 13, hope is so important right now. Hope is just one of the key things that I think so many people are missing. And all too often people are putting their hope in all sorts of things that will probably let them down. The one thing that we can rely on, our hope that will never fail us, is in Christ. And I want to encourage you to, to hold on to Christ with all that you have, because he'll never let you down. Our hope in him is certain. He is the anchor for our soul, as one of the verses I shared on Sunday said. So don't let go of hope in Christ. If you find that your life has been shaken by what's going on around you, if you find that things feel like that it's all uncertain, it's because you've not put your hope in Christ, you put your hope in other people, other things, or even in yourself. Put your hope in Christ. So let me uh, now just share a few questions for you to think about as you discuss this either in your group or take time to reflect upon it on your own. Uh, first question is this. Uh, think back on times when there have been discussions or debates within the church that you've belonged to, in which it's been hard for people to accept one another. What difference would accepting one another make in that context, do you think? It's a bit theoretical, it's a bit hypothetical, you know, you just got to imagine, but if people truly accepted each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, would it have made a difference? The second question is this, what makes it hard for you personally to accept people who are different to you or have different ideas to you? What can you do to get around that? Uh, third question. If you are able to uh, read the Old Testament and it's all fine, you perhaps missed this question, but 
What stops you reading the Old Testament? What would help you? How can you get a handle on the Old Testament in a way that enables you to move forward in your full understanding of Jesus and the gospel? So what can you do to fully understand what the Old Testament is about? Final question is this. In what way can you grow in hope? Think about all those areas of your life where perhaps you put your hope in other things. How can you increase your hope in Christ? It's a difficult question, this one. But take time, particularly if you're in a group, just take time to discuss around hope and what it is and what has helped you grow in hope. And maybe you'll be able to help each other find ways of growing in your hope in Christ, making that more secure in these really uncertain times that we live in. So how can you grow in hope? It's been lovely to have you with us today. Uh, I do hope you'll join us on Sunday uh, and then again next week with when we have another edition of Deeper. So have a good week and I'll see you soon. Bye.